Hi everyone, my name is Monique Casanova and welcome to What's the Scope? This is a new initiative for students hosted by Eastern Engineering Group where students get to pick out a structure that they like in Miami and we contact the design team to see if they are willing to give us an interview where they will be answering our design and technical questions. Today, we are going to be talking about the Miami International Airport, this huge structure that is just such a big impact in the city. And we were very excited to talk to one of the architects that um, was part of one of the projects there. So we are very excited. Check it out. Okay. Uh, start video. Okay, here we go. She's starting now. Ooh. Oh, perfect. Yes, we see you. <laughs> How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for being patient. Yeah. No, of course. Thank you for taking really the time out of your day uh, to help us with this initiative and just like answering all the questions that David has for yeah. you. We're very excited. Okay, likewise. <laughs> thank you for coming. Right. Yeah. Um, so, David, let me give you just a little introduction of Daphne. She is a very important figure in our, the architectural and design world here in Miami. Um, she is the president of the AIA of the Miami Board, and that stands for the American Institute of Architects. And she is also the owner of her own architectural firm with her husband, um, the firm is called Gure Matute, and they have been open for 24 years, and they've been working in just really amazing projects, and one of the examples is the Miami International Airport that we will be talking about today, and um, so yeah, David, do you want to give a little introduction of yourself? Yeah, um, my name is David Manosalva, and I'm, I attend FIU, and I'm majoring in civil engineering, and I'm mainly interested in structures, and um, geotech has also piqued my interest. So I'm also um, dab dabbing in that field in my studies. Um, and I graduate. I should be graduating fall, um, depending on the classes that they offer, or at the latest spring. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Um, are we ready for the questions? Awesome. Yes. Sorry, David. Oh. We're ready for the questions. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Um, just to, um, like, a little icebreaker, just to lighten the mood, just a quick light question. Like, what, what what's your favorite color, Daphne? Uh, probably magenta. Magenta. And do you, um, like, a follow-up to that, like, do you picture or envision that color in any of your design projects? Oh. As you're all the time. <laughs> Not everybody likes magenta, so usually. Yeah, magenta is a, a very unique color. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I always find it's good to ask, um, like, what's the favorite color of someone? If you want to give them a gift, you just give them a gift in that color, and they'll always love it. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. The first question, uh, for aviation projects, uh, what stages of the projects are you in, and what is your role in them? Okay, so we just finished one project is very important for Miami International Airport. Our company was a subconsultant to the prime Burns and McDonald's. So they held the contract directly with Miami International Airport. But our role was critical because we served as the designer and architect of record 
for a brand new 60,000 square foot building that houses the extension, the brand new baggage system that uh, goes from central terminal all the way to south terminal. So that was a very important project and had some innovative things happening inside. The, I don't know if you saw uh, when they had the, um, the opening ceremonies back in October, the, the local television cameras came inside to, to take a look at it because it has robotic camera, uh, ro- ro- they use robotic cameras to inspect the bags as part of their wow. baggage system. So the design of the building is there to support the baggage system. Right. That was an innovative thing that we were part of, which was pretty exciting. And how long would they, um, when would they want to implement that by? Oh, it's done. It's done? Oh, wow. Yes, it's being done. So that project started the design phase back in 2015. And it was fast tracked. We spent okay. about a year in the design phase. Then it went through a procurement process to hire a construction manager at risk and through permitting. And eventually it got started. It was part of a, a very large series of projects that had to be phased, which is one of the things that's important about working in airports is there, an airport has to remain operational at all right. times. So in order for you not to impact your, your existing customers, i.e. the passengers, you have to be able to face the construction work so that nobody feels it. Of course, everybody right. can see it as you're going through the airport. You'll see, you know, Jersey bar- uh, barricades up and, you know, diversions uh, as you're walking through. But the airport is operating. So the key thing in an airport and in the hospital is trying to minimize any impact to the passengers because uh, that's, that's who we serve. Ultimately, right. we serve the users of the building. Right. That's very awesome, yeah. That, that actually answers my second question very, um, very well. Uh, what would be one of those cha- – like, what, what's that – is that like a major challenge that – The major challenge – because when you're trying to maintain a building operational at all times and not impact the, the passengers in this case, you have to be thinking about life safety. So if right. there's a fire, if there's an emergency, how are you going to get people out? You cannot disrupt communications and life safety. So that's where the phasing comes in. And sometimes one project has to get broken down into several pieces that could ultimately uh, represent uh, several phases, could be several construction, smaller projects that have to happen, enabling. So that's where it gets really challenging. Right. And um, so we're aware that the Miami is in the process of expanding, like, and it's set for like 2040 because of the increased population and cargo rates. Uh, currently, um, which stages? of the design is that project that if you know, if you're involved? Well, the, the, there's never going to be one single project at the airport. It's always going to be a series of projects. So right. again, for the same reason is the things have to be phased and it all right. kind of continued upon the, the funding, how projects right. funded, et cetera. But the airport has, like any public institution, will have a capital improvements plan, which is based on the master plan which is connected to the finances. 
So it'll take that plan that you're referring to is never going to be one project. It'll be many projects that gets uh, divided into right. several teams of professionals and, and including architects, engineers, and even the contractors. Okay. And um, for the future projects, um, what interests you the most? Like, what are you most excited about? Well, we love doing airport work because it's really challenging. So you have to understand um, yeah. the implication of, of designing secured spaces. When you're designing a, um, an airport, you have to worry about how you're going to separate international travelers from domestic travelers and what that means in terms of the planning of the, of the building itself or the facility or the improvements that you're doing and then how that's been going to um, impact your design. Okay. Awesome. Um, um, just to like yeah. add to that really quick, David, just because right. I know we have one of the students that is joining us today. Um, his name is Ryan. He was asking if um, your firm, Daphne, was in charge of the whole design of the airport, which um, just because we've done a little bit of research and everything, we know it's kind of like divided in several firms, but how does that how does that kind of work? How does it like come together whenever you're assigned a section of it? Like right. how does the communication work? How do you get like, do you get like a master plan of the whole airport so you can work on like a little piece? Like how is that? So again, it goes back to the airport has a, a master plan and there's different departments. So they're going to be capital improvements, takes care of major projects that are new. And then you'll have maintenance and facilities that will take care of, projects that are uh, undergoing renovation work. So the funding comes from different places. So you may have like a re-roofing job that's happening for, for the span of uh, five years, and, the, and you're dealing with a completely different department. They're just taking care of repairs. And to answer your question about the how things get done, you have the capital improvements, and then the capital improvements, people have to put something out through a procurement through the process of procurement when it's a public job. Then it goes out through a process called an RFP, request for proposal, so they get qualifications for the architects and engineers to be able to submit their qualifications. That's after they have identified a project. Sometimes they put out contracts that are miscellaneous because they don't know what they're going to be, and then there'll be a contract, so you'll have maybe three or four architects and engineers that are on call, and as things come up, as small projects come up, they give it to those firms. But usually the, there, there's, the big difference is if it's project-specific or if it's a miscellaneous services contract. That's how the, the work gets given to the teams of professionals. And that's how you end up having maybe like 20, 30 projects ongoing at the same time. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, oh yeah. Easy, easy, especially with an airport as large as Miami International Airport. Yeah. Absolutely. And right now we are um, leading the design for the new airport operations center and emergency control center, which is a really, really interesting project. Uh, it's where all the, it's kind of like the brain center of the airport. So that's an exciting project they're working, working on right now. That seems very exciting. Airport. Yeah. For sure. Wow. Yeah, no, it sounds super interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I know, I know, I, we've seen in your website that you worked on, um, you have done several projects at Miami International Airport. Which one has been your favorite so far? Oh, that's, that's a tough one because they're all so interesting. Um, I, I would have to say that the two last ones have been really, really interesting. And early when we started our, our firm, we were involved in North Terminal. And that was very exciting, too. The, one of the projects that we did was an enabling project, which is, again, the first, like, a small project that gets developed in order to to make way for something bigger that's coming in. That's what an enabling project is. Okay. And those enabling projects that we did at the beginning were the Kickstarter to the North Terminal program. We got the first building permit wow. for the entire North, North Terminal program. So you can be... A small firm and have a very big impact right. in something that's very large. So we were very lucky, very proud to be working uh, on that project because it represented the Kickstarter. We kickstarted the North Terminal um, program, and that was back in 1999. During that time, we also worked on some very interesting projects that had to do with you know, relocating passenger loading bridges adding fixed um, bridges, things that um, normally we wouldn't handle, but we got involved. It was heavy on the civil and structural, so it's kind of interesting to be able to manage our team of professionals to handle something like that. Okay. Um, uh, you're, like, the first professional architect that I've ever, like, speaking to, so this is, like, very, uh, like, a unique experience for me, and I'm very, like, happy to have you. So one of the questions for architects, like if I'm an engineer or studying for to be an engineer, uh, from an architect's point of view, how does it work like working alongside engineers? Oh, it's great. Uh, you guys are the brains. We, we provide the vision, but we need to be supported by our engineers because you help us make those dreams come, th come true. Right. So we might have a, the greatest idea, but we're constantly collaborating with our engineers You know, this is what we want to do. This is this is the mission at hand. This is what the client needs. And um, you know, from a structural perspective, I really I, I need to work with you on this. And then we'll bring in our MEP engineers to help us, you know, work out issues, especially when you're dealing with um, either something that's very innovative that's never been done before, or in the event of uh, a very delicate renovation project. So we look to the we we rely on the engineers. It's a team effort. It's totally team yeah. effort. We're talking to our engineers every single day. Yeah. Every single day. That's very amazing. Um, yeah, when I think of uh, big ex uh, extravagant projects like that, I live in, like, Hollywood, so I'm, like, very close to the Hard Rock Hotel. And, oh. like, just, like, seeing that, like, imagining that and then, like, working together with, like, architect, visioning that, and then, an engineer helping to like make that a, a reality. Yeah. Very yeah. amazing. There's a vision. It's something creative, but then we got to make it work. It's got to become a building. Yeah. It's got to serve say. people, etc. Okay. And for um, aspiring architects, what was one of the most valuable classes you took personally? For engineering. Uh, for architects, as an architect, um, how did this change your perspective as a student and? Yeah. And then well, of course, uh, I would have to say Design Studio is the one that's the most uh, relevant for us as architects. Right. When you um, 
that's when you really have a chance to, to experiment with ideas. This is, you know, you're there exploring. It's kind of learning a little bit about yourself and what you're, who you are as a, as a, as a designer. And I like to say that architects, it's, it's like a lifelong profession. You ever see architects, they, um, really famous ones, they, they tend to peak when they're already in their 60s. It's a lifelong profession. So you might have somebody that could be in their 70s and they're still practicing. Some of the famous architects did that even beyond that because it's, it's like a craft. You continuously, right. you know, work on it and, and then you're innovating and you're, you're doing something slightly different. It's an art. It's truly the balance of art and science. Yeah. That's, um, like I was going to add to that, like in the future with more like technology available also helps you improve that craft. Oh yeah. We love, um, especially the students that are graduating now. Um, they are very versed in 3d modeling programs. And we like to, to, to stay engaged with the students. I personally go to uh, final design crits at FIU School of Architecture uh, or uh, either with the architects or the interior designers. So they invite me to come over and it's very refreshing to see what I'm seeing as they're developing their designs and using the, the 3D modeling, which they have become really experts at that when they're coming out of school, they're really good at using 3D programming. It would be inspiring and also kind of like, I feel a little envious that you didn't have that um, luxury. No, because uh, we, we didn't have that, but it's okay because we, we did develop in a different way. I mean, right. we did a lot of uh, line work, freehand line work, and we used, um, I hate to say it, dating myself a little bit, um, <laughs> la- uh, drafting tables with, you know, uh, T-squares and, and mylar paper and pencils, and you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, mylar. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, we I started on paper. And then right. um, um, CAD work came in, and it was a, it revolutionized how production was, was happening in an architectural office. And we've seen the same thing with Revit, Revit taking over and revolutionizing and kind of challenging architects that are more experienced to work with the younger team but it's all good it's all positive you know we have skill sets because we learned to draw by hand and we learned how we, we learn things even with the math that sometimes the younger students they take it for granted because they have a calculator that's calculating something or they'll use the tool of, of the computer to calculate something without really knowing why it is. So there's a, there's a benefit to having experienced architects with the experience that we had uh, working together side by side with the young graduates now. There's a, a definitely learning and collaboration that happens in both directions. Of course. Going, um, going with the route that you're talking about students right now, um, what do you guys look for in like interns or anybody that's like going to watch this video that would be interested in your firm? A great question. <laughs> question. Um, the number one thing that I look for, I don't look for experience because I'm not expecting someone to have experience. I'm expecting someone to come and be extremely design 
oriented, uh, care about the about the design process. I look for the um, if the person has shares the same core values that we have. So we have our firm has core values like things that we believe in, how we hire people, how we work with our clients is based on our core values, right? So then when I look to bring in a new team member, I look and ask questions to see if this person is aligned with our company's core values and and if this person is going to contribute in, in terms of the growth of the company. What can they add? What kind of skill set are they bringing to us that we're lacking or that we could use some additional support attitude attitude and humbleness a willingness to to learn attitude attitude is everything you can't teach someone that they they come with it or they don't and and how that gets represented is is when you have somebody that's willing to learn when they're open to hear feedback whether if it's, you know, something that was, okay, this, this was done this way, this is how you're going to do it next time, capture it, move on, and improve. That's, that's very, very important. Um, soft quality that we look for. Nice. Those are very good tips. <laughs> willingness to learn. A willingness to learn means you have to be humble, and you just have to – I look for good grades too. If you get, if you find someone that has exceptionally good grades and they've been working, you know, because of their life situation, they have to work 30 hours a week or more. That person has a tremendous amount of time management skills already. So, and I think students that come in that have never worked before and they have more challenges to adapt in a workplace environment because they don't have time management skills. Right. So it doesn't mean that there's no black and white, but usually when you have somebody that, that has to, has had to suffer a little bit through college because they had to work and they had to do this, or maybe their, their, their language was a barrier. I love those people. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the more that you have struggled, the, the better you're going to be. It's it. Right. You don't struggle. It's like the butterfly that comes out of the cocoon. You know? Yeah. If you don't let that butterfly, you know, exercise their wings, they can't break open the shell. They're gonna die. The butterfly dies. <laughs> Great metaphor. <laughs> um. So I have two questions. Um. That our guests have um made through the chat. I don't know if, would you rather me maybe filter them out and emailing them to you or do you want me to ask you live? You can ask me live. Okay, perfect. So uh, one of them is asking, are the projects you work on, you worked on in Miami International Airport similar to projects you worked on before or are they projects you first encountered of its kind? Interesting. That's a great question. So we as architects, we are trained to be innovative and to think. It's very rare that we do two projects that are exactly the same. Unless you're doing, let's say, a repeat of a building like a CVS, a pharmacy, a Publix that gets repeated over and over and over again, we are trained to come up with innovative solutions 
every single time. So they would be one of a kind. Wow. That's very interesting. You are trained to think and solve problems. That's what we do. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the other question? And then, um, so he's saying, since you are committed in inspiring young girls to pursue their goals in STEM, what would you say to the girls that are passionate about about architecture? You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. There, there should be no limits, but there are, and we don't know why. We don't know why it is that the girls, young girls, young adults tend to have place limits around themselves. That's a much deeper question that I don't have an answer to. Yeah. But, it, you know, I, what I can do differently is to, is to make sure that, that people um, see that I, I, I have done it. You know, I'm a mother of three. I started my business when I uh, still, I was pretty young. Um, I'm to say if you did the math. <laughs> Over age, so I'm not going to say <laughs> No, no, no. We just know you were very young, and you still look very young. So <laughs> I, was, I was very young, so um, you can't do it. Uh, you, as a work-life balance, it does get challenging. You have to make some decisions in life. I'm not going to say sacrifices, but just choices. You know, there's there's choices you have to make. You may not, as a as a business owner, professional, you may not be able to do every single um, PTA meeting. Uh, may not be able to. You might miss uh, one or two uh, games or stuff like that. But overall, you can have a profession and be um, you know a working working mother. Um, for those people that have the limits thinking that they can't do it, that they have to make a choice. There's no black and white in life. No black and white about that. That's for sure. And as far as it is to be in a STEM-related career, um, I would say that that I myself suffered through that too. You know, I was an art major first. And for some reason, I had it in my mind, maybe when I was when I was in high school, that I, I really wasn't that good in math. You know, it was, like, it was an idea. I was like, okay. So then when someone told me to consider architecture, I looked at the curriculum from the college and I was like, ooh, I don't know about that. It's got like a lot of engineering classes there. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and it turns out that, um, you know, again, the mindset, you take the class, you, you know, you, you, uh, you have, a, have the attitude, the openness, and confidence, self-confidence, backed up, of course, with a lot of, you know, homework and studying, etc. But anybody can do it, for sure. And my, one of my favorite science classes ended up being physics. Oh, no way. Who would have ever known? No, that's awesome. <laughs> Having been an art major, who would have ever known that physics would have been one of my favorite <laughs> classes? And it was. It was just so much fun. Yeah. No, I love that you're saying that because um, I like kind of telling students that it's normal to get like the feeling of fear or being scared towards something. Like if you're creating like a like a big project or if you're taking a class that you think it's challenging, that fear, that feeling, it's normal. What you have to do is kind of like fight through it and just like kind of conquer it. So I like what you're saying that it is challenging, but it's possible. Like you have to make choices, but they're choices. And just like it's very gray, like there's no black and white. Absolutely. 
No, I love it. Um, something else that I wanted you to talk about, just because um, a lot of these students that um, we connect with at FIU, they're from ASCE, and you being a part of AIA, this is going to be ones if it's not relevant for them right now, which I think it, w- it it is, it will be once they graduate, like they're going to encounter a lot of their clients and a lot of the people they partner with, they're going to belong to the AIA. So I kind of wanted to ask you how the AIA has um, influenced you as a professional and how it has been like a benefit to you on your professional life. Great question. So, um, I wasn't part of AIA as a student, um, and I should have. I think it was a missed opportunity for me to not have been involved. So that's the first thing I would recommend if you're still in college to participate with your professional organizations because it's a great way to do networking with potential employers. It's a great way for you to, to understand issues and how your professional organization can help you in your career path. So that's my first recommendation, to, to be a part of and then be engaged with your, your local organization so that you can create those uh, networking opportunities. It's great. Um, second of all is when I did graduate from college and I became licensed, I joined AIA right away, uh, recognizing that it's the largest uh, professional organization for architects and it, it's got 90,000 members and they basically uh, protect our profession. So your profession is usually under attack by somebody that wants to deregulate it, that wants to attack the, the requirements or how you get compensated or how, how, a firm is, how um, firms are going to get selected. So the AIA specifically has been really effective in having um, lobbying in Tallahassee to protect the, the CCCMA. The, that's the Competitive Consultants um, Negotiation Act, TCMA. Uh, they've been very effective in protecting our profession uh, in that legislation and also in deregulation. This only happened this year. But it gets, every once in a while, it gets kind of reintroduced by somebody who wants to deregulate the profession or oh. say, like, it, like you, you, have, you work hard to get your license. You have to take yeah. some tests and then you sign a sealed drawings and you're liable. And then somebody has a brilliant idea, well, let's, let's not, let's not. Uh, require anybody to sign the seal drawings anymore. So, you know, somebody will come up with that bright, bright idea not knowing the ramifications of that. So I would say that becoming involved in AI has enabled me to have a deeper appreciation for the, the impact of our professional organization directly in our, in our um, career in my career specifically. Number one. Number two, it's open opportunities for me to do networking. So I'm a business owner, so I, I like to know who's out there for potential teaming opportunities, etc. So that's been another reason why I've enjoyed being a part of AI. And and of course giving back. I mean you you want to you get to a certain point in your life that that you uh, go through stages and then giving back becomes a very important part of what you do in your life because at some point somebody gave me a leg up so I, someone taught me the ropes someone was there for me and so this is my chance and i like to do it through my professional organization 
and I like to do it through events that I that I have created. Very beautiful. Yeah, so I recommend you be a part of your professional organization, even when you're still in college. It's a great way for you to to, to network. Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Um, I wanted to ask you um, one last question just for the students as well. Um, I know that you have a master's degree as well. So I kind of wanted um, your advice maybe of how maybe your transition was in your experience of you graduated and then you got your master's right away or that you work in between or did you work and get your master's at the same time? Uh, yes, to all of the above. I, I, <laughs> I have my five-year degree from University of Miami, Bachelor of Architecture. I didn't need to get a master's degree. I wanted to. Uh, so I received my uh, uh, Master's of Science in Advanced Architectural Design from Columbia University. And uh, I did work in between. I thought it was a good thing for me to, to take a break from school. Because school, they teach you theory. They teach you about design. You're, you kind of have an opportunity to flush out your design process and identify who you are. What kind of, like, what, what kind of designer, what kind of style am I going to be doing? And stuff like that. But working is reality. So having that little break was uh, a big plus and made me better prepared for when I went back and got my master's degree. But I didn't need it. And what I would recommend for for employability, for individuals that are thinking about going back and get a master's degree, think carefully before you choose what uh, your master's is going to be in. I would say that uh, being a business owner probably would have been a good benefit if I had chosen the route of getting an MBA. Uh, if I had gotten an MBA, that would have probably helped me some uh, to a certain degree when I started the business. It's not that it's impossible, but you know, it probably would have been good either as an entrepreneur or to go the corporate route. Having an MBA is really helpful. So think outside the box. You know, it doesn't. If you have an architecture degree, maybe consider getting something specialized. So historic preservation could be something related to healthcare. Now there's some universities that are developing curriculum for healthcare um, programs. So that's a good thing too. Same thing applies for engineering. Awesome. All right, David. Do you um do you have any more questions? I had one question um, <coughs> regarding my friend. Uh, um, she lives in Colombia and she's an architect as well. Okay. What would you um, recommend or any um, advice for her if she wanted to come to the States? Like, what would be her, like, route? Learn like, English. Sorry? Uh, learn English. Right. Of course. Of course. <laughs> we receive a lot of applicants from uh, – other countries, and they do not have a good command of the English language, so that is of the largest barrier that we have. Yeah. All the plans that we prepare are in English. So if they don't understand English, they can't write English, they can't write an email, it's not very good. Yeah. However, sometimes you get candidates, potential candidates that, that have an um, exceptional command of the English language, even better than students that studied here in the United States that went to U.S. high schools and U.S. college colleges. That's kind of frightening. 
But I would say that, no, no, for real, the, the best thing is for anybody that's going to come from another country, they have to be prepared. So take a year off if you need to, get into an intensive English program, do what you need to do to be able to operate in a professional environment, utilizing the language that the profession uses, number one. Number two, bring all your documentation of your your educational um schooling already um, converted into, how do you say, translated so that it's it's all been vetted, it's, everybody understands that this degree from this university is equivalent to this degree from here. Because that's the other thing, it's, it's not, we don't recognize the universities of some of the, um, uh, that are out there in other countries. So I really can't tell if a university is giving a four-year degree, or if it's a six-year degree, I have no idea what the curriculum is. So the one, the, the people that have the highest success in the United States that came from another country are the ones that took the time and invested the money to be able to get their degrees. Re, uh, how do say? It's kind of like a reevaluation of their degrees, yeah. and they get it uh, kind of accepted here formally. And the ones that know English. Yeah, I had a professor, uh, and he was an engineer in Cuba, I believe, and he came here and he just stuck with teaching because he didn't he didn't feel like he should have to prove himself again. And I found that a little disheartening. <laughs> well, it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, people do what they have to do. So yeah, can't judge. Yeah, <laughs> true. All right. Well, Daphne, I think this is. All our questions. I don't know if maybe you have a question for David. Uh, no, I, I guess uh, you're at FIU and you're about to graduate and you're thinking of, or you already have an internship with Eastern. Hopefully. I, I do well in the interview coming up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're going to do great, David. <laughs> Lots of uh, positive energy sending your way. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Daphne. We really appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. And if you're ever in the neighborhood, we'll definitely text you and we'll buy you a Starbucks. And Where, are you, Where are you located? In Doral. Okay. Yeah. Good. I will let you know when I'm in Doral. Perfect. Yeah. We'll go with David. We'll buy you a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good afternoon. You Thanks. too, guys. Thank you, you so much. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye.